Welcome back, everybody, to Unearned Confidence. This is Ben, and I'm here with Kyle. Hello. We today are doing something new in this episode three, season one, where we are doing an over-the-phone, or in this case, Skype interview with Gordon Chaffin from Washington, D.C. He's a public policy expert. In particular, he cares about electric transportation, bicycle transportation, uh, public transportation in the form of buses and all that, but he's a wealth of knowledge, and we get to talk to him about all things today from uh, public transportation in Austin to the Boring Company and everything in between, EV scooters and so on. Gordon has his own uh, subscription newsletter called Street Justice. What's that address? That is streetjustice.news. Streetjustice.news. We hope you like. So my wife and I went to Miami this past weekend to this festival, fitness festival called Wadapalooza. And mm-hmm. uh, Miami, I didn't know this, but um, has it looks like they've, they've definitely embraced the e-scooter. I don't know if I want to call it a revolution yet or not, but it's definitely some sort of a <laughs> paradigm shift. But... So, so we, we go down, and everywhere, everywhere in, the, in downtown Miami, there are these scooters. Some of them are stacked very neatly like dominoes. Others are hanging in trees, literally being placed there by juveniles or drunks or whatever, <laughs> but, but they're, they're everywhere. And <clears throat> so we, we decide, uh, my wife's never been on them. My son and I have been on them in Denver, but we, we, we got on them and rode, and, and it was exhilarating and fun and, 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 and useful. Like we could move mm-hmm. at you know fifteen to twenty miles an hour and get from our hotel, which was a couple miles away from the venue, to there without using an Uber or anything else, and it felt good. It felt exciting, uh, and so you know my wife felt the same way. She's never really ridden a motorcycle or anything like that, so that was kind of closest thing to that. It was a little bit sketch. Um, there was a we went over this one uh, foot bridge, and I uh, get to the apex of this foot bridge on a on a scooter I picked up at the bottom of this this thing. And I, I'm going down, and I realize there's no brakes. Like, the brake is dead. Um, mm-hmm. And so um, I, I had the wherewithal, fortunately, to drag my foot and not kill myself <laughs> running into traffic. Um, but, but good. Generally good, exi- exciting, a little bit dangerous, kind of knew the danger. Then fast forward to, you know, end of the games. Um, my wife and I go out for dinner, and we walk, strolling hand in hand, walking down the sidewalk. And these things would just go fucking blazing by bam you know and like and, and they're quiet and they just scare the shit out of us and you know we're not like mm-hmm. elderly um and but it was disconcerting as all get out it was not pleasant to be on the sidewalks with these really cool things mm-hmm. so first off like how do we deal with that what because like san francisco just outright bans them some cities are really embracing them denver's somewhere in the middle what 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 do you have a have you thought about this? Do you think there is a, a solution where we can keep this cool tech, but make it friendly for the people that are on the sidewalks? Yeah. So the primary the primary problem with scooters from like a, pu- a public policy situation is that sidewalk danger. It is <laughs> the the unfortunate benefit of electric scooters is that they're quiet and the reality is so there there was a theory that you there's all this demand for small transportation like you said like you don't want to use a car you can just zoom over and it it essentially replaces a long a long walk for an able-bodied person 
there was a theory that we're going to create all this demand or we're going to take advantage of all this demand by giving these vehicles into public space. And since it's going to be kind of chaotic, the policymakers are going to say, oh, God, we need a, a dedicated space for these. Like we need to uh, we need to give them space to park. We need to give them safe places to ride so that walking is separate from scooter riding is separate from bicycling is separate from driving however what happened was that politicians did what politicians do which is react yeah obtusely and uh short-sightedly to that sidewalk riding danger and ban the technology as you said severely limit it with do do you um, remember do you remember uh, emily hartridge She's a famous YouTuber from the UK, and she was killed last summer uh, in in Great Britain. Um, and I don't know if this affected policy, but it looks like now in the UK they're like just flat out banned. You can't have them, uh, at least in, yeah. in the majority of London and elsewhere. But she definitely yeah. she was noted as being like, the, and it's unfortunate, a very lovely person with a huge following, and her death is tragic. But it illuminated for me the reactionary nature of our governments but but i don't know yes. do we blame them or do we just say well shit i mean these these companies just dumped these onto us knowing they're cool and everybody's going to want them um without yeah. really having created any policy themselves yeah so the difference is that uber uber did the same thing but the roads were like we had a hundred years of po- a good of like policy that made roads safer. So adding marginal Toyota Camrys to the road wasn't chaotic. Uh, and technically, you know, the drivers that. of those vehicles are still licensed, so they've gone through some form yes. of training to do that. Wherein I think can't you just get on one of these scooters and go? Basically, most places. Yeah, you when you. Uh, launch the app first you have to prove that you have a driver's license with a photo but as we've seen in dc and other jurisdictions have seen what happens is that you have uh, a bunch of people download the app one of them is a licensed driver so they use the photo what they get their parents to do it as is the case with 16 uh and 18 year uh minimums gotcha um where where are you at with like policy regarding safety on these things do you, is that anything the government needs to be involved with or do you have an opinion there well so the challenge is that you have to set good kind of broad based guidelines but if you depend too much on human enforcement so you your public works officers or your police officers then it will not be enforced so with the biggest argument and it comes from the cycling world are helmet laws the difference is that uh okay let's say your city sets up a bike share system they have docks they have bikes that you can undock and go to a different dock and then dock it if you there's a decent way to fix that like as soon as the people get a membership you mail them a helmet the challenge is that scooters are are very high percentage last minute decisions. And so if people own helmets, they don't have them with them and they may not own a helmet 
and uh you can't physically because the devices are so there it's a it's a floorboard with a battery in it two wheels and a stick for a handlebar there's no place to like put a helmet that can be reused does the does the thought of of consistency among jurisdictions play a role like like for example Miami pretty much it just looks like and I don't understand the policy I haven't read it or anything like that but just by way of aesthetics what I see there is that they're fully embracing it and there's not mm-hmm. a lot of uh, there I didn't see anybody like cracking down on how you drive or where you drive or anything else like that but then you've got you know Denver that has some amount of regulation and then on the other mm-hmm. end of the extreme you've got San Francisco which is generally looked at as a as a as a city that embraces tech before anybody, they're just flat out yeah. saying, no, sir. So uh, it seems like there should be some sort of coalition or um, governing body, or at least somebody that would can lobby to a governing, governing body that, that advocates for a set of, of controls, regulations that mm-hmm. are consistent across the board. I mean, that, don't you think that would be helpful? It would, and they kind of exist. The the easiest comparison is mo motorcycle slash moped law. In practice, what happens is that fifty different states develop fifty different rules, and so if you buy something like the the new NGT, which is now being sold in America, how you register it, how you get title insurance, whether you have to get a motorcycle endorsement, all of that stuff depends on state. Even though there do exist local state and international like best practices bodies i think it's realistic to look to the scooter companies to like you know you're not allowed to operate in our city unless you decide to invest in the infrastructure to build places to park these things maybe Mm -hmm. put some educational materials together to let the public know like how to operate them safely uh, I like that there's a, at least some kind of firewall where you have to show a driver's license. I realize it's easy yeah. to manipulate, but that seems like a good idea. Yeah. So most cities, D.C. certainly, require community benefit programs or packages. And so a bunch of warning screens on the app that give best practices on how to be safe before, you know, once you rent a, a rent a scooter or like when you sign up and a lot of community benefits things like holding how to ride sessions go to a high school parking lot yeah be there for four hours the whole community can come by the problem is that and this is true of of transportation and lots of different fields but the design of the system the infrastructure is the most important thing and with the physical world, it's so prohibitively expensive that it would um, that would be like saying Uber, you have to you have to give the federal government whatever X percentage of your annual revenue so that we can maintain the roads that your cars use. And that sounds like a really interesting, innovative idea. But in practice, like nobody would ever do that. Interesting. You, so Kyle brought this up this morning before we we uh, we, we hooked up with you, and um, you may want to ask this. Did you want to ask about boring and how it plays into this? Yeah, uh, my mind jumps to that. Um, you know, it's, and it, it, I was thinking about it too when you were talking about Austin and how they're mm-hmm. potentially adding layers above, and um, obviously 
this whole conversation is ripe for disruption if we start going below the ground and make the system more three-dimensional. But do you feel like that's going to fall into the same trap as just expanding uh, the lane count? Or do you think this is something that could indeed revolutionize uh, public transportation? Yeah, so um, it is a complete farce. It <laughs> strong. You heard it here, folks. <laughs> yeah. So you're saying it's, Elon Musk's boring company is a farce, or the concept of going underneath, or tell, explain that. Three dimensional travel, generally, as a fix to like 2020s cra- traffic congestion problem, is is nonsensical, and there are many reasons for that. It basically boils down to Elon Musk not understanding transportation engineering and thinking he's smarter than all of the transportation engineers. And I should include now like 200 years of public transportation design and how to build subways underground. And if I will say this to give him some credit, if he did create a bunch of tunnels and put them in, put hyperloops in them that were designed essentially the same as like train cars where you're putting physical people in small spaces density packed yes and and you are that would uh be better and that would that may work the problem is that uh like with alternative energy technologies it's way too early to figure out whether that would be more cost efficient than using 2020's best practices and what he's done so far is dig tunnels and put individual cars through it. Like this is not this is not a Bayesian statistical, you know, space travel problem. This is like geometry. You need more people in fewer spaces. Well, I, I think they have alluded to it in the past, and I and I, I that they they had showed, in fact, mockups of the hyperloop containing these pods that had density mm-hmm. to them. So. You know, I think what you're suggesting is maybe, you know, it'd be better for his cars or he's thinking about that in terms of instead of like dense cabins. But um, I think the conceptually, at least the idea of being able to develop the tech of boring the hole without damaging Mm -hmm. the substrate is really what is in my mind, what's really important right now. And then I think right, we have right. to put pressure. Maybe you're you're making a very good point here. Put pressure upon people that build vehicles, et cetera, to really bring to fruition something that can contain density as well, so that we can push yeah. these through. It's, um, I think like yeah, you can argue about engineering, and there are good arguments to have about that, and. I am not at all a subsurface transportation expert. I don't know anything about digging holes. Um, but other than, you know, to, to lessen my, my point, the points I'm making, but the Elon Musk said, I, f- I forget who, to whom, but he said once that public transportation is undignified. Interesting. And the, I don't know if I agree with the, that. The, the problem in like transportation expert land is that Elon Musk and people, he doesn't change, change the paradigm of one human in one car size space because that's the dignified way to travel. And, and, and that's 
that's the problem. You you have to you have to understand like and not be dismissive culturally of the things that people know. I wonder if him referring to it as undignified as him bashing it as something that like he, he doesn't want to use because it's not dignified or if, it, if he's just kind of saying that's how it's perceived and therefore it's unrealistic to expect at least a certain subset of the population to take full advantage of it. Um, with, it, it I mean, it, you at least have the hurdle of changing that stigma. But I, yeah, yeah, I don't know. The biggest. No, absolutely. And, and I want to go on that point for a second because it's really important. The public Bus transportation it has been in a crisis the past five years or so with declining ridership, like seven, eight percent year on year, sometimes double digits. Oh, wow. In a place like New York City, a lot of that boils down to the bus being the bus service being bad. There's not enough dedicated space for buses, so the buses go slower. The People, the bottom line being people are don't think public transportation is undignified. The bus just has started to suck more. Yeah. The in a place like Los Angeles, which is which is legitimately investing smartly in public transportation on rail. The challenge is that. I would it's it's 80 20 in terms of bad perception. There are lots and lots of people, especially if you're talking about fixed rail that that L.A. is expanding to LAX, to the the beach in Santa Monica. So many car trips could be taken. You could take uh, like an hour long subway ride. And it is just that poor people ride the subway, homeless people ride the subway and uh, and different ethnicities. Yeah. Well, I say this that I I don't I don't necessarily like if 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 Elon Musk is indeed saying that that's not dignified or you know you need to mm-hmm. this isn't this isn't what we should do or whatnot, um, mm-hmm. you know that's not that's not good. But I, I will say this: I am in the camp that believes that you know none of this none of this we can measure like we could come up with solutions today that are probably far superior than just making a bunch of electric cars, no doubt about it. But yeah. the economies don't work that way. You have to get people interested uh, mm-hmm. in, in things before you can you can really make big change. And by that, I mean, like, I don't know that he really wants to build a, a goddamn pickup truck. <laughs> I don't know that he does, yeah. I'm thinking, but I think he wants to get people really excited about buying them so that mm-hmm. we can we can convert because what happens mm-hmm. it's just like putting solar on your ho- home you it's not what you expect if you have the if you're if you're lucky enough to be able to have to put solar on your home you you suddenly start developing awareness and mm-hmm. i think that this a similar dynamic will exist when if you get butts in cars or asses in seats basically uh whether they be in public transport that is done better than it currently is or if you get uh, somebody that lives in a rural environment that drives an F-250 at eight miles per mm-hmm. gallon into a Cybertruck or a Rivian or something like that, those aren't perfect solutions. And I think that's what we need to, to uh, at least one way we need to look at things is that nobody is purporting a perfect solution. What we're doing is getting solutions together with really yes. smart people 
and we're driving awareness. Because once people mm-hmm. are, I hate the phrase woke, or the word woke rather, <laughs> but as you become aware, you, mm-hmm. you we, we, we set a trajectory for not only our nation, but for this planet, and that's exciting. Uh, and that, that's, that's inclusive of all of us. Every human, every species, every, everybody on this planet can, can get involved with that, regardless of where you come from. But we need yeah. to have awareness before we have anything, as far as I'm concerned. Yes. And people do not. So you're very correct. And I want to emphasize the point that private car buying is very much emotional and about cool factor and uh, which is where Tesla is obviously extremely superior. Um, But purchasing an electric vehicle makes people more aware of transportation uh, as their effect on the universe. They realize that, oh, I'm taking electricity to provide fuel here that has to come from somewhere else it can come from the sun for free in the long term and the making people connect the car with the energy with the sun with the climate that really only starts when electricity becomes a part of the car because right now people do not connect pumping gas with hydraulic fracking with the oil tankers in the middle of the Gulf of Mexico. So, so what I hear, what I see, and I, what you just sort of said <clears throat> is that, uh, you know, e- Elon's got his one, he's just one guy. He's one guy, mm-hmm. and he's, he has had a disproportionate influence on the way yeah. a lot of industry is moving. So, but he did that by creating, like, electric cars are not new. In fact, mm-hmm. you can go back 100 years, but but even in their first attempts in earnest in the 70s for the oil crisis, they were not sexy. So they appealed to absolutely no one. So mm-hmm. he has to be a bit of a showman in a sense to capture an audience. If you if you if you if you create something provocative, it I don't think anybody I don't see that as a perfect solution, but god damn he's getting a lot of people to think and and, and act on. And that's the start of the conversation. He's changed industry mm-hmm. by way of, of creating a conversation. It's not perfect, but man, it's gotten me involved. It's gotten yeah. Kyle involved. Yeah. You're involved. <laughs> Human nature is just a part of the equation, whether we like it or not. So yeah. if you try, if you want to ignore it, you're not going to succeed. And totally. you, you have to, you have to address it. Um, but Gordon, if I could, before we run out of time, I, there, there's something I saw in your newsletter that I thought was really interesting, um, and I mm-hmm. wanted to pick your brain on it. And it was you—you you had an article, and it was talking about. I think you called it like the donut hole of safety and yeah. autonomous yeah. driving. Yeah, and uh, I'm, I'm guessing you, it kind of relates to. Uh, I would I would imagine you're of the opinion that, that there should be maybe some more driver monitoring in place. Um, mm-hmm. Would you agree with that, or, or can you riff on that a little bit? Yeah, so the don't the argument I made in that article is that the current uh generation of advanced driver assistant safety features, it's called ADAS, there are lots of acronyms in this conversation. But essentially like emergency braking and adaptive cruise control and there are several others. They create a 
in effect where it becomes harder to pay attention to driving. Essentially, when the car is analog, so to speak, and you are driving, and this is true, by the way, too, uh, when you like devolve back down a stick shift, you're driving, your entire mind and body is participating in controlling this device and which is fast and dangerous the when you go further away from doing that you your it becomes more physically taxing on your brain to maintain total awareness so in on some sort of spectrum or a distribution being totally in control is safe or it's at least your it's easy to be in focus if the car drives itself perfectly then you don't have to pay any control and all of your focus can be on something else the dip, the middle of that distribution is where your it is most mentally taxing to stay focused and I believe that this phenomenon has been borne out by some of the Tesla autopilot crashes where, and I'm not a huge militant person about the branding of autopilot, but people are not good at trying at, at like being totally a hundred percent in focus, but not controlling anything. And so there's, there's that, uh, there's a chasm right now. Yes. Yep. Yeah, so funny enough, in aviation, uh, I was an airline pilot for many years, and we we phrased this automation dependence. And mm-hmm. so we, we back, you know, go back uh, a few decades, and we had a sort of an instrument cluster that we would have to, you part of our training and ongoing uh, uh, training and, and uh, testing, mm-hmm. et cetera, revolves around ma- maintaining this awareness, this scan. Well... So a, lo- a lot of uh, things started occurring, you know, 80s on, uh, automation-type things to make it easier to either suppl- supplant information onto one device, like multiple pieces of information on one device as opposed to having to scan around mm-hmm. for all these things, um, different systems that could fly the aircraft through different regimes rather than just like today's, you know, like cruise control on a car would be like the best example. It doesn't really do much other than hold your speed. But but right. f- like full full automation does everything right. It accelerates, decelerates, brakes, turns, etc. So we have mm-hmm. we have that sort of automation in aviation, um, and and the where automation dependency comes in is this: um, the aircraft can be doing things that you don't want it to do, and you need to be aware of that. So we have we we but but it's overcomable by by driving uh, habits that keep you engaged. So so. But because because here's the reason why, the automation actually is great, because it'll it, mm-hmm. it, it can if done right allow us to be even safer, and that's that's the goal I think obviously of automation, uh, as it relates to cars and, and and but the the automation allows me to pull back and not be focused on one instrument and as as it relates to flying I can pull back and I can be thinking about weather and I can talk about air traffic control I can be communicating with my colleague. And uh, but I also have to come in and out of engagement, and I suspect that's probably where we'll end up with this. I don't see full autonomy like like as in nobody in the car driving it, passenger in the back for a minute. I think it'll happen, 
But there's a long way to go, regardless of who says what, uh, until we learn how to create that in and out awareness, being in control of the vehicle at all times, uh, but then being able to util- step back and think a little more holistically, get more data given to you to make to, to, to provide wisdom. On yeah, how to drive. the 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 uh, in to, to dive into that point even, or emphasize even more. My brother is a Navy pilot. He flies P8s, which are 737s that Yeah. And the way that an airplane pilot is in control of that vehicle is much different than the way that 99% of humans drive. And the challenge in my brother said um I don't know if this, if this is outside the military because they have all their acronyms, but he said you always have to care about your essay, yeah, which is situational awareness. awareness. And so, um, and this is uh, by the way also how you are taught if you take psych like urban cycling classes or motorcycle riding classes. You're taught to scan the field to look at the instruments you have, and so driving does but be- de- would become. A, as you said, a, a constant scanning of information, a a collaborative experience with the automation systems, exactly. not a not a stepping back like as some of the concept cars have shown where you're literally in the back of a limousine. Yeah, I, I definitely. And that that will present all kinds of interesting opportunity, you know, to to be able to treat your commute as more of a business trip. Uh, you, you've got you, 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 there will be some level of participation in you in in, in working with that vehicle, um, but that that mm-hmm. opening up of uh, of your 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 vision will allow you to do other things, and it's it's going to be that training. I think is maybe what we're identifying here is that training to scan that situational awareness that's really going to drive safety. I I, uh, I I saw an interview with uh, George Hotz. He's the CEO of. Uh, comma AI and they have like a, an aftermarket system that is run on mm-hmm. a smartphone basically that's modified and uh, his solution to this I thought was pretty elegant he just put a, a, a front-facing infrared camera so he could see the face at night as well wow. and um, and if the if if the phone sees that you're not focused on the road um, it'll give you an alert and then it'll disengage the system eventually um, the driver monitoring problem i think seems like pretty easy to solve but maybe i'm naive in some way no it's uh by the way i have more time if you guys want to go a little bit longer um the uh the problem is that (laughs) it's really creepy to have a camera following you constantly yeah and as as we said earlier the so much of car buying in the current culture and in intentionally. So since like the, the, the Mad Men era, it's, it's about being cool and I mean, not being creepy for sure. And so, uh, the, uh, Cadillac has the eye monitoring with super cruise. You have, uh, the eyesight with Subaru. They have the driver facing camera, and it's one of those things where we we are going to see if people are kind of 
cool with that trade-off. Are you okay with having this camera on me 24-7 so that I can, you know, be able to take my hand off the wheel for a little bit? Well, and another thing that comes to mind here too is I know right now when autopilot is engaged, uh, statistics show you're like eight times safer than than just driving mm -hmm. manually. So mm -hmm. the fact of the matter is like even if this is a problem on net, um, it's still safer even though this problem may exist in a Tesla that doesn't use driver monitoring other than the wheel weight thing. Mm -hmm. um, are we just splitting hairs here? Is this something that we shouldn't be <laughs> – getting worried about if we're safer anyway well so uh <laughs> welcome to the department of splitting hairs lots of people live here um and studies like the one you just cited are argued about ad infinitum um so every january there's something called the transportation research board annual conference these very very smart academics from all around the world uh at different colleges and in different research groups come and present research that does have data and uh, leads to conclusions like that. The challenge, though, is that culturally, we are not alarmed as an American society by traffic death. There, So if you look at historical traffic deaths in the United States, and you look at the major reductions in raw numbers and in, in the rates adjusted variously, the gaps in deaths are related to specific device changes or infrastructure changes. Obviously, mandatory seatbelt laws were, were huge, and it's maybe the best single policy decision point that inflected the that graph. However, the per vehicle mile traveled and per thousand people rates have stabilized and for the past 10 years or so are just flat. And so as in, in the number in America tends to be somewhere between 35 and 42,000 traffic deaths a year. And the challenge is that we, you might be right that we're splitting hairs, uh, but the greater like societal challenge is that we don't really care about reducing traffic deaths, at least not enough that it's it's on the same level as a movement like Mothers Against Drunk Driving. Certainly this automation, of, uh, this is poignant because right now, <clears throat> unlike 10 years ago, um, mm -hmm. there, there hasn't been any inflection point because we haven't had autonomous cars. So right. now, now we're, we're getting people to actually think, <clears throat> we're, I'm going to be in the back of this vehicle or wherever in this vehicle, but I'm not going to be driving it, and there's not going to be mm -hmm. anybody driving. It's going to be this thing. Um, in in order to get there, uh, we're going to have to make these incremental steps. One of them is going to like the the, the what you guys are talking about in terms of like the, you know the camera on the face. I bet there's other types of sensors that can replace a camera, so yeah. people aren't fearful of their data being <laughs> you know yeah. people seeing them picking their nose on the on the you know somewhere <laughs> on the internet, but. Those things, like, they have to occur because people right now are already overriding, like, Tesla's uh, – mm -hmm. what they do is the weighted steering wheel, but you can stick an orange in there or a grapefruit or some shit right. and just fake the system. Yeah. And, but we, it, it, we're, we need to get from point A to point B to point C, et cetera, and it's mm -hmm. going to – we're going to have to accept that certain things are going to need to be in place for us to build out the tech to get there. And 
face detection that seems, you know, things that you can't cheat on. Because we should all be looking at this like, well, why would I want to cheat on something that's trying to keep me safe right now? Yeah, I can only speak for myself, but if they want to watch me do whatever weird shit I do while I'm driving, and then the trade-off for me is that I don't have to drive most of the time, fine. (laughs) But maybe I'm alone in that. I don't know. I probably am. Well, I I, – Gordon, I, I, and I, maybe I speak for Kyle here. We, we like your, 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 your higher level approach to this and, and thinking about humanity first, as opposed to markets <laughs> and, and individual equipment. I, 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 it's a refreshing attitude and, uh, I applaud you for it. Yes, sir. Um, I want to talk real briefly. Uh, we're going to mention it at the beginning of the show when we, when we build the intro, but, uh, mm-hmm. tell me, tell us real quick about street justice and where people can go to sign up, to subscribe, yeah, to be a sure. part of that. Can you, can you do that for us? Yeah. So street justice was a news organization. I started in 2018 because I had been laid off as a local journalist here in DC and it was not the first time I had been laid off. And I knew that I wanted to be a transportation reporter. I knew that I knew transportation policy from academic training and in work experience. And so I just started this newsletter. And so I'm part of this wave of paid newsletter business type things. I have grown it consistently over the past 15, 18 months. And so I do that. I, it's my main source of income, which is a statement about how little income I make, not about how much time I spend on it. The uh, the name so, of it's badass, by the way. Street. I love it. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. It's um. Yeah. And so my goal for street justice is to hopefully soon have a sustainable living wage for myself, where 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 this is the only thing I do, and I don't envision a world empire. I don't envision News Corp. I just want to do really, really good local and occasionally national news about the built environment. So that is transportation infrastructure, that's energy, that is uh, planes, which I'm learning more about, and underwater things. I do not know how submarines work. The So, so that's the goal. If you live in the Washington, D.C. area and you care about these things... Our website is streetjustice.news. You can subscribe any different price between $5 and $10 a month for all of our editions on Patreon. And you can donate to us by us being me. You can donate so that I can have $5 for a transit fare. Uh, right on. Or and you can, yeah, you can do that. And it's the way I... want to bring it down too is that I did talk a lot in in this conversation about high level things and big hairy problems but I fundamentally focus on the block where change is happening on your neighborhood and things are always changing and there's lots of reasons and, and equities and justice angles there and so that's what I do and um, my only bias is that I am partial to the facts. And so I'm not NPR. I'm not going to give discredited people credit. And uh, this is, uh, you know, I'm not in this to get rich. This is just trying to be a public servant journalist. So if you do reach a threshold where you become rich, 
Uh, can we be in your downline to catch off those off castings there? Would that would that be all right? Yeah, yeah, sure. You guys, well, you'll become part of part of the Street Justice Podcast Network. Okay, right on. Hey. We we dig that. I want to say one last thing. You you, I know your your Street Justice is DC centric, uh, mm-hmm. and but uh, I, as someone who does not live in DC, gleaned a lot of useful information um, just in general from it. So. Is it is it safe to say that you you know eyeballs from all over the the country and other countries can uh, can check out your uh, street justice? Yes, I uh, I do four newsletters a week. I try to do one DC, one Maryland, one Virginia, and the the weekly Sunday slot that's for all subscribers for free subscribers that tends to be for a national trend type phenomenon. Right on. Well, Gordon, we are uh, extremely appreciative of you taking your uh, sure. your 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 time and spending a little bit with us. Uh, it's been fun, and we uh, can't wait to have you back uh, after your empire is uh, is all settled. Thank you, Gordon. <laughs> sure. All right, take care, Gordon. Thank you very much.